we're going to uh, show a video first, and I think the video will be self-explanatory. You really like it? I like it. Brian, you get to look good. I do like cute, but I can't post it because I don't have... I want to know. What I want to know is... I want to know. I want to know. Well, I always wonder if... Why does science oh, prove to so many people that there is no God? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's a question. It can't it's just be a question. Does evolution disprove God? <laughs> Do I have to choose between science and religion? And you need to be able to ask the question. I want to know why we can't see God. Is evolution our enemy? My brother's been doing so much reading. And he questions if there's so many religions and so many gods, which one should you pray to? Is it wrong to believe in microevolution? I want to know how the metaphysical god interacts with the physical reality. I want to know that. But we have some responsibility here. And I've been quite intentional, actually, in the way that I framed the question this morning. The way I have it in my notes here is science and faith, must they deny one another? And I haven't asked whether or not science is true or faith is true. For me, science has an amazing and astounding amount of truth in it. In fact, I used to be a mathematician and a science-oriented person myself. I was awarded when I graduated from high school the prize for being the outstanding math and science student in my graduating class. I received academic scholarships to university because of my work in math and science. And so I have tremendous respect for people who are scientists. Some of my best friends do science. I have respect for mathematicians and the way that they analyze things. I think all of that can be very good. I respect the way that they analyze our natural world, whether in the field uh, that's broad, like cosmology, or minute, like quantum physics and microbiology. One of the things that I love about science is that it's rational and truth-seeking. I really think that scientists in general are after the truth. In fact, great scientists are, in fact, great truth-seekers. Some scientists are not great scientists. They maybe have other motivations for why they do their science, and they're not truth-seekers. But there are, of course, many that are. Some want fame and fortune and all that goes along with being a prominent scientist. But I think there are many, most, who simply want the truth. They seek conclusions to things. They want answers. In fact, I would say that being a real scientist means an unending pursuit of authentic truth, establishing what is true as accurately and as possible through scientific investigation. Now, not all of them have that presupposition, but I think that's their desire for most. And the fact is that with that, I have no problems. In fact, when pursued in line with what I believe are unbiased presuppositions, I think science can actually lead us toward belief in God. The arguments about the origins of the universe and what looked to be the rational design for things and some of that we talked about last week, well, I think all of that makes total sense. 
And so I think science can, in fact, reach some solid conclusions that point us in the direction of God. And that also leads me to what I think is a really important point with which we need to start out. And I would say it's this. If science could prove, and I mean really prove, something about our world, if something is as provable as a fact so that anyone really understanding the issues and the data and looking at these with unbiased eyes is going to reach the same conclusion, it's indisputable. Then this conclusion, it's going to be in line with God if he exists. And the reason is because once truth is found or examined, if it's really truth, if it's indisputable kind of truth, then it's got to be true. And if it's true, because God is also true, there is not going to be a conflict between the two. You can't have a truth reached by means of science, and I mean something that's really true, and a truth about God that is really true about God, you can't have those things be a contradiction. They are simply both statements about the way things really are. They are both real. They express something about reality. And if you're expressing something that's true about reality, whether you state it from a scientific perspective or a theological perspective, if you're saying what's true, it's simply true. And so we wouldn't have any kind of contradiction. We, we don't. We actually can't. There might be ways in which people will try to explain the origins of the universe, the reality of the universe, but the fact is, there is only one. You can't have 15 explanations for why things are. You can't have a thousand different reasons for how things came into existence. Things came into existence in one way, things are real in one way, and that's all, and it doesn't matter whether it's a scientist who says it or a theologian. And so, as Christians, we should not then fear science. We should only fear inaccurate or incomplete science. Further, the scientists should not fear theology. They should only fear inaccurate or incomplete theology. And the fact is, and this is a bit unfortunate for us, we experience both. I think on a regular basis. Both inaccurate and incomplete science, and inaccurate and incomplete theology. And we need to try and correct those, whether you're a scientist or you're somebody who reads the Bible. You need to do the best job of that you can so the truth really does end up being the outcome. Here's an example, and we used this last week, of better science. It's this whole notion of the Big Bang. Whether the Big Bang happened 13.7 billion years ago or 40 billion years ago or 50,000 years ago is relevant, I suppose, but it's not the big thing. The big point is that good science is not in conflict with sound theological ideas expressed in the Bible, specifically those about God creating things. And so, as we saw last week, when Genesis 1 says, let there be light, if a scientist explains that in terms of some huge, massive explosion, some big bang, that doesn't bother me. He could just as well have said, and I mean God, could just as well have said, let things move at the speed of light. 
Or he could have said, let there be heat and explosiveness and power. And that would have explained it. As it is, he says that a bit more poetically when he says, let there be light. But all of it sounds to me like sound science, just in the same way it sounds like sound theology. So I think our scientists have grown. And I like that. Now, I also think that we have some examples of better theology. And let me give you one. And I started out the, in the first service, I said, uh, as I started the sermon, I said, you know, if I was to preach this 40 years ago, it may well be that I would be fired. I think, I think that's a possibility. I also said that it's possible that if I would have preached this nine years ago, when I was here, I may have been fired then too. <clears throat> Reason being that you didn't know me then. Now I'm hoping that if I say something and you think to yourself, is that really what he meant? That you will stop for a moment and think about who said it. And that is somebody who loves you. And somebody for the last nine plus years you've listened to preach on Sundays and who's trying his best to love and serve the word of God. And so if I say something that sounds a bit controversial, I hope that you think, you know, I think I'm going to get the podcast and listen to that again. So one example of better theology, I think, has to do with creation <clears throat> and origins. And here's the thing. If we insist on the creation of the earth in six 24-hour days so that God said, let there be light, and then, after light came into being, 86,400 seconds went by, the number of seconds there are in a day, and then we think he said, let the waters above be gathered from the waters below, and then another 86,400 seconds went by, and then he said, let the waters be gathered together and form dry land, and then another 86,400 seconds went by, I think that we neither are doing sound science nor sound theology. In fact, I would say that Genesis 1 and 2 are not meant to be a scientific description of creation. They are meant to be theological descriptions of creation. They are true theology. They are not meant to be scientific description. And so they are poetic. And those words are dramatic and full of imagery and metaphor and full of artistry and beauty and truth. You know, nowhere in Genesis chapter 1 or Genesis chapter 2 does it talk about quarks. Nowhere in Genesis 1 and 2 does it talk about cell division or DNA or amino acids or oxygen or the speed of light. And yet those chapters say something very accurate and true when they describe our world as coming into existence through divine creation. Even if they never use those words. And those words, every one of them, if we're going to talk about creation in some kind of meaningful way, certainly from a scientific perspective, we've got to use those words. They make total sense in the context of science. But we're talking here about God. And he doesn't want to give us the scientific description of how things came into being. And so he's not 
I don't think, literal. I don't think he's chronological. He's not scientifically specific. He tells about himself and what he does. And so scientists and theologians for a long time have been pointing out the fact that the creation of light happens on the very first day. But the creation of the sun, moon, and the stars happens on day four. So how is it that we have all of this light that occurs on day one and the sun, moon, and stars happen on day four? Well, you can say, well, that light comes from God. And I get that. But how do we begin to count a 24-hour day as being the day of creation when there is no earth revolving around a sun on its axis creating 24 hours? That becomes, in my mind, a bit meaningless. And so I would say that after all of that, there's a conclusion that we should reach. I would say that the best science will lead in the direction of God toward belief in God, not away from God, being in fact compatible with God's existence. And I would say the best theology will lead in the direction of acceptance of scientific truth. So the belief in God will be compatible with science. Now I want you to notice something. I didn't say that theology will support every scientific theory. I said theology will lead in the direction of scientific truth. So the belief in God will be compatible with truths, not theories established by science. And again, I don't see how it can be any other way. If a scientist establishes something and it is in fact true, and it's incontrovertible, it's not just a theory, then it has to be in line with God and vice versa because it's an expression of only one reality. There is only one reality. And so if science absolutely proves something, it has to be how God has created things. It just has to be. Now, something else I want you to notice. I did not say that science will lead in the direction of supporting the literal reading of biblical verses that were not intended to be taken literally. And while on the surface, people would say, well, of course, that makes sense. It's a challenge for us. The fact is, is that from my perspective, it isn't scientists who have messed up on Genesis 1 and 2. It's the theologians who've messed up for us, Genesis 1 and 2, trying to make the Bible be something that it's not. The Bible is not a science textbook or a manual. It's a treatise about God. And that means that it's going to discuss what God is about, not what science is about. And it's going to do so in language that befits God, not which befits science which means it's going to be filled with mystery and metaphor and imagery and beauty and love and value judgments even about what is good and what is very good. And so now, after I've maybe challenged you a bit in terms of thinking about Genesis chapter 1 and 2, 
Let me do a little bit more. And this one is really a challenge. This is an issue that all of us have to wrestle with, all of us have to face, and in many ways, it's the crux of the matter for a lot of Christians. You know, it's, it's good for me to talk about how Genesis 1 and 2 are being theological and not scientific, that there isn't a conflict between real science and real faith. But what I think of most Christians, when it comes to science and faith, really want to know, after we've discussed the Big Bang, is they want to know whether or not Darwin was right. Did God create Adam and Eve in an instant? Or did he create them through an evolutionary process from lower forms of life? And it seems to me that both the question itself and you, and and certainly those young adults that were on our screen a little while ago, all of us deserve some kind of real answer here and not for me to just evade the question. I think we have to deal with this. And so I'm going to give some opinions. And here is my first answer, and it comes absolutely from the perspective of faith. If we take literally all the words in Genesis 1 and 2, we immediately run into problems and questions that we cannot answer because we will be interpreting Scripture mechanically and scientifically instead of theologically as it was meant to be interpreted. In other words, if we're not careful, we'll take a text, Genesis 1 and 2, and we'll do something with it that God did not intend to be done with the Bible. We'll take a text and treat it as if it is a scientific manual, when clearly that's not what God intended it to be. We need to be careful about that. Now, if it is ultimately proven by science that human beings arose from lower life forms, notice how that sentence starts out, by the way. Do you see the beginning word? If that's the case, rather than being created as two specific people, Adam and Eve, from whom all human beings then came, For me, that will not bother my faith one bit. Not one iota is going to be bothered if we in fact establish that that's the case. For the record, I'm not convinced that the evidence points incontrovertibly to the absolute proof of the evolutionary origin of human beings. I don't think science has proved that. But if we do, if that's where it goes, it's not going to bother my faith. There are so many compelling reasons to believe in God that the question of how he created human beings, which I don't think Genesis 1 and 2 is written to answer in any kind of literal way, is not at all, for me, a deciding factor in whether or not God exists, or whether or not he's involved in our lives, or whether or not he's taken our world in a certain direction, or whether or not he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Wayne, could you just move that for me? 
that stand, just move it out there. Thank you. Whether or not he sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins or whether or not Jesus rose from the dead or whether or not God loves me, these things are not impacted at all by whatever way it is in which God has created human beings. These things are all true of his interaction with us. He is still our creator. He still stands above the universe. He is responsible for human beings, for creating us in his image, for breathing into us the breath of life, for creating us male and female, for creating a way for us to propagate and fill the earth, having dominion over it. All those things are true. Not one of them is dependent, as far as I can see, on the literal reading of Genesis 1 and 2. How God brought us about then is not much of a concern for me. What is a huge concern for me is that he did. And so if it is proved ultimately, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that human beings came into reality through evolutionary progression, well... If that's the way God did it, that doesn't really bother me very much. I actually don't see anything in Scripture that would say this is an impossibility as far as who God is. The only place it seems to me where there is actually any possible conflict at all between the Genesis stories and the theory of evolution, and and by the way, I I, I think Genesis 1 is not the place to go to if you're going to try and defeat evolution. You read the story, especially you get to verse 27, and it talks about male and female, he created them. There are no specifics there. It simply says, God created them male and female. He doesn't give one iota of description in terms of how he actually did it. He breathes into them the breath of life. What does that mean? He frames them from the dust of the ground. I don't know what that means. Pretty difficult to describe. Now, in Genesis 2, it's a bit different. Because here, he talks specifically about Adam. He talks about Eve. But I can't see yet a compelling reason for why Genesis 2 has to be taken literally. Nor do I think that science will ever be able to prove that God didn't create a man, Adam, and a woman, Eve. And so I think it's very possible that God does create Adam and Eve, that we actually end up with two people, one named Adam, one named Eve. But I have no clue how that happens. He did it. And he doesn't tell me how. And he doesn't tell me how long he took to do it. And so I don't know that there has to be some literal thing there that I have to hang on to in order for my faith to be intact. In the end, we don't have to disbelieve the creation of a man named Adam and a woman named Eve in order for an evolutionary theory about the origin of life to still be true. God could have used that process if he wanted. That's his business. Haven't we all for years, haven't we all for years taken our tongues and stuck them just inside of our cheeks and pushed really hard, tongue in cheek, I just saw some people do this, okay? You were copying me. Dave Sandmeyer did it. I went like this and Dave went. 
Isn't it true that we all for years have said, how in the world did those other people get there? And when I say other people, I mean, who is it that Seth married? Did he marry his sister? About whom Genesis says nothing? There are some other people, folks, who end up living on the earth that are not mentioned in the book of Genesis early on. There have to be. Where did they come from? And my point is, is that clearly God has chosen not to tell us everything in the Genesis account of creation about how things came to be. He doesn't tell me where Seth's wife came from. He leaves it a mystery for me to worry about. Do we not have the right to speculate and theorize and study to find an answer? Since on this matter, God clearly chose to be silent or at the most vague? He just, at the very best, he's vague. Maybe he did it at the end of a long evolutionary process. When all was in order, when the brain was ready, God came. And he breathed into that creature the breath of life. And he created a living soul. And he had relationship with it in a special way that he'd never had relationship with any creature before. Biblically, I don't see why that's not possible. And so I would say something like this. Ultimately, my faith rests in God not in the manner in which he created humankind. And maybe I should have put in here, because we have no clue. Like I can't have faith based in something about which I have no clue. What I have is a wonderful depiction in Genesis 1 and 2 of God creating. What I don't have is a scientific account of how he did it. And so because that's the case, I don't really care what science proves or doesn't prove about our origin as a species. Because God never tells me exactly in literal terms how he created human beings and how long he took to do so. What he tells me is how he did it. Uh, Sorry, that he did it. He tells me that he did it. He tells me it comes from him. And so my faith is in him, not in the process of creation. If God created Adam and Eve as two people and did not evolve them at all, he just creates them and they land in the Garden of Eden, then praise the Lord. I'm so glad that's how he did it. If he didn't create them suddenly and use an an evolutionary process instead, then praise the Lord. I'm glad he did that. And in whatever way he brought about all those other people who are mentioned besides Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis and their direct descendants, praise the Lord. I don't know how they got there, but they got there somehow. And I'm convinced, both theologically and I think scientifically, that they weren't just Adam and Eve's children. Who did Seth marry? So personally, I think God's existence fits really well with scientific ideas about the origins of our universe from a big bang. And personally, 
I think the vast difference between human beings and the next highest life form shows me that standing behind the creation of human beings is an all-loving, gracious, wise creator who is responsible for humanity and who sets us apart from all other life forms, desiring relationships with us of intimacy and involvement and love no matter how he decided to bring us into existence. I don't care very much where we have been and how we got there or here by God's power and grace. I care very much where we are now and where he is taking us. When in the end, I'm judged, it will not be based on how good of a scientist or theologian I was able to sort out the deep mysteries of God in creation. In the end, I'll be judged based on what I've done with the question of Jesus Christ and my acceptance or not of his loving grace and sacrifice. And so that's what I would compel you to know. The question is not, what do you know about how God created humankind? question is, what do you do with Jesus Christ? That's what's on God's mind. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you know, you know how badly I want to have spoken truth today. Father, I pray that you'd bless us with understanding beyond what we as human beings are capable of. We pray that it would come through your revelation of yourself through Jesus. We pray that you would shape us and touch us and move us and help us to become absolutely, completely devoted, wholly sold out to you. And Father, as our world struggles to explore itself and understand, I pray that you would guide them into truth. And we know that that truth is you. And so we put ourselves in your hands this morning and ask your richest blessings on our faith. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.